Welcome to the Higher Self Podcast. I'm David Dom, author, coach, and founder of the Higher Self Academy. Each week we bring you a person or a message designed to help you begin living more from the inside out, from a place of balance, alignment, mindfulness, and inner peace. Welcome to the show. get all the show notes and links for episode number four at daviddom.com forward slash four. You can also get a free copy of my book, Living in the Pause, Life After Addiction, Divorce, and Business Loss on my new website, daviddom.com. Just click on the book link and you can grab a free copy, audio or print version. Also, if you want to be a guest on the show, you can reach out at daviddom.com forward slash guest. And if you are a teacher and you have an online course that lines up with yoga, meditation, inner peace, self-esteem, mindfulness, anxiety, depression, anything that helps people live in harmony and balance in their lives, we need to talk. I'm allowing teachers to feature their course in my academy, basically free, so that you keep all of the proceeds from all the sales. So let's talk. You can visit daviddom.com forward slash teachers in order to get information on that. And without further ado, welcome to episode number four. Okay, my friends, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have our guest, Renaud Purifoy, on with us today. Renaud holds a master's degree in counseling and is the author of the book, Anger, Taming the Beast, second edition. His first book, Anxiety, Phobias, and Panic, has gone through three revisions and sold over 200,000 copies. After 20 years in private practice as a marriage and family therapist specializing in anxiety disorders, he retired from private practice to teach at a local college in Sacramento, California. After 15 years of teaching, he has now left his teaching career to spend his time writing, seeing people as a pastoral counselor, and sharing videos on practical life skills on his YouTube channel. And welcome to the show, Renault. Well, thank you. <laughs> I uh, I can say it, it really is. It's it's very interesting how life works, but it's perfect timing that we're connecting. I'm excited to learn more about the subject of anger and apply what I learned to my own life personally. So um, it's it's great. So yeah, let's start at the beginning. Uh, you know, from your definition, what is your basic definition of anger? Well, a- anger is one of two uh, automatic responses that we have uh, to a real or perceived threat. The other one is fear. And it might be useful to maybe take a minute and just talk about, you know, what are emotions? Because there's a lot sure. of uh, misunderstanding sure. about, you know, what they are and why we have them. Uh, making a fairly simplified uh, model for it, uh, I usually look at emotions as a response to your needs. And I put them in three basic categories. There's more. You know, you can subdivide this stuff, but I, I like to keep it keep it easy, mm-hmm. especially when I'm working with clients. So the first group are, are responses when a need is satisfied. You get excited, you're happy, you know, all that type of stuff. 
Those normally don't cause problems, so I focus on the other uh, couple baskets, and one would be when there's a threat. And then when there's a threat, you're either going to become angry and want to get rid of the threat, or if the uh, threat seems to be too much for you to deal with, you'll become afraid, uh, and then fear will make you go away from the threat. And then the third basic bas basket is uh, loss. And so with loss, we get into the sadness, grief, depression, that constellation of emotions. Mm. Uh, the other thing about emotions that is often misunderstood, like with anger, is uh, it's actually experienced in a lot of different forms. When you're irritated, uh, that's just low, low anger. And, of course, the high end would be rage. And then we have, like, hundreds of words to describe the different levels of anger. But it's just really how high the, the level's dialed up to. When we use the word anger, we're kind of think of this middle-high level. Uh, but really, irritation, uh, being bugged by something, uh, it's just low-level anger. In fact, whenever you uh, assert yourself in some situation, it's low-level anger that's driving that behavior. Um, you know, if you somebody steps on your toes and you say, please get off my toes, you know, that's, that's that irritation. That's just really low-level anger. So anger has mm -hmm. a very positive as well as a destructive role in your life. Yeah, I was amazed as I was learning more how many different, you know, names or tags, if you will, as you're saying, that we that we apply to that, that anger, which is just other words. Well, and it's interesting because other languages don't have all those words. Uh, English has lots of words for emotions. You get into Taiwanese, uh, Chinese, or other word, languages and stuff, and they have much fewer words for all of these emotions that we wallow in here in the west so <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow so so uh, I, I i realized that as i was going through some of your materials that your work covers three common myths about anger which i found very interesting um, um one is that it's it's healthy to vent anger well, can you speak to that uh sure and when when people say it's healthy to vent anger, usually it's just an excuse for not controlling their anger. Uh, now, mm -hmm. there are some limited therapeutic situations where, you know, venting might be useful. But in everyday life, when you vent anger, uh, number one, it's going to increase your level of anger uh, because acting out anger tends to increase uh, the emotion you experience it. And that usually leads to some kind of inappropriate or self-defeating behavior. Um, because and usually it doesn't help resolve the situation in a positive way, you know, because you you lose some of your ability to think. Whenever you're experiencing a really strong emotion, your reasoning centers tend to shut down to some degree, and so you you, hmm. you start to do things a lot of times that later on you regret. So venting is hmm. not usually a good thing to do. You know, a, 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 emotions are things that need to be acted on, not acted out. And again, uh, a two-year-old, when they get angry, they throw tantrums and they scream and kick and all that. And we say they're acting out their emotion. And as we become adults, we are able to control our emotions and we act upon them because they're giving us information about our needs. And that's important to uh, to take stock of and decide what am I going to do about it. But we just, just don't act them out without thought. <laughs> we're, we're not supposed to. <laughs> well, we're not supposed I mean, to. That's, it's so it's so funny that you said a two-year-old. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why we say an adult who's acting out their emotions is acting like a two-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's an awful that's, lot of that going on in the world right now. Well, yeah, that's 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 what I was just thinking, and and it was it's interesting because I was looking at some things that were like blatant, and it was like, you know, when I when I don't, you know, 
if I want something really bad, I should have it. I mean, that just reminded me of that a comment, which which you were saying. It's like well, that's, yeah. and and someone had said that sounds like a two year old. That sounds like a you know a kid. Um, well, and and we're just big kids sometimes. Well, we get, we, we get that in advertisement all all the way, right? All the time. You'll have it your way. You deserve it. <laughs> Absolutely. So of, course, so of course I should have it. Programming. Uh, the, the other myth, uh, another myth suggests that we may be predisposed to anger due to genetics, which I found interesting. What, what are your thoughts on that one? Well, it's it's probably not as prevalent now, but I, I know when I earlier on in my career there were a lot of books like The Naked Ape and a lot of the feminist uh, literature and stuff that talked about how, especially men, you know, they were programmed to be angry and aggressive and all this sort of thing, and it was just you know we couldn't help ourselves. And there's still some of that you'll see. Uh, out in the literature there but bottom line is um, your response is something you've learned now there are some medical conditions you know brain tumors and stuff that can interfere with your emotional network um, but for the the average person uh, the way they respond to various emotions is something they've learned and you can see that because some people when they get angry they act like the two-year-old and they rage and all that type of stuff and other people uh, don't they'll suppress it or they'll become quiet and and there's just the whole range of uh, behaviors that you see, and this always ties back to uh, the way that they've learned to, to think about themselves, you know, society, and uh, their emotions and needs and all that type of stuff. Right, but not necessarily genetics. Meaning, because that's no. kind of, that's kind of an excuse, is is what I'm getting. Exactly. I mean, I mean, we we are genetically programmed to have emotions. It's you know how we manage them and what we. Do. It's like with thirst or hunger, right? Uh, in fact, I like to think of anger. It's very similar to thirst, right? You know, people will say, you know, is anger appropriate? I'll say, well, is thirst appropriate? Well, of course it is. If you need water, your body gets thirsty. What you do about that, do I grab a soda? Do I grab some water? Do I grow, grab some alcohol? You know, that's a whole different thing, right? That's all yeah. real stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was going to be my next question. But on this topic, so because what I what I've learned is that a lot of time, I mean, you can hear pe people will just say, "Well, that's just how I am. That's just what I do. That's I mean, that's an excuse." And yep. right. <laughs> well, and especially when you're dealing like with domestic violence, uh, there's two things, two kind of roadblocks you run into, and and the first one is I can't help it. You know, it's just the way they am. And it's interesting because when you look at somebody that you're counseling that situation, when and where they explode, actually they ex exercise a lot of control. Uh, if they're in front of the boss, if they're in front of the judge or police officer, they control themselves really well when they're around the wife or the kids or in some situation where, quote, it's safe to blow, then they will do that behavior. So they're actually exercising more control than they realize. And again, as mm -hmm. I said, as an adult, we do have the ability to control our emotions and our behaviors. So it's whether we choose to exercise that. And part of it's practicing too, right? Because behavior is a habit pattern, like the way you mm -hmm. brush your teeth and do a lot of other stuff. And so if you rehearse exploding enough, that becomes automatic. So you need to start... Uh, practicing controlling, and then that becomes automatic. Well, like most things, developing healthy habits is <laughs> exactly, exactly. Kind, of, kind of important. So, so mm -hmm. okay. So, when is anger appropriate? Well, I, I look at basically three things. One is there a real threat? Because uh, if there's a real threat, then you know it's something you need to respond to. Second thing would be: is your anger at an appropriate level for the threat? Is it just requires irritation, or is it something you where know, somebody's coming at you with a knife or something? 
Uh, and then third is your response uh, going to reduce the threat with the least amount of harm to yourself and others. That's that's the way I look at it. And if mm. those three things, if it's a real threat, the level of anger is appropriate, and I'm doing something that's going to reduce that threat, usually in our culture we're talking about some kind of assertive behavior, um, then probably the anger is appropriate. Okay, and that's interesting. And there are there are some reasons, or or I guess you would call organic causes, if you will, for inappropriate anger that causes an you know really an inability to interpret the events accurately, which mm-hmm. may be out of control, out of our control. What are those type things? What do you? Well, and, and there's a host of things that can interfere with your ability to interpret uh, accurately. You know, different types of. Uh, Illnesses. In fact, uh, with the everyday average person, you know, who doesn't have organic quote causes, the main reasons why people will act inappropriate is sick, hungry, tired, stress. Right? Uh, when you're sick, hungry, tired, or under undue stress, your brain does not reason and function as well as it normally does. In fact, think about when you're really tired. Uh, your thinking becomes more black and white. You lose that ability to. Uh, you know, evaluate the nuances and situations. Uh, right. I think a simple, simple example would be uh, in my marriage. My wife and I made a decision early on that we would not discuss anything important until after dinner. I mean, imagine yourself coming home after a hard day. You know, <clears throat> your wife comes in after a hard day. Let's talk finances. Now, that's a great discussion, right? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, if you wait till <laughs> you wait till after you've eaten, you're kind of settled down. You're you're able to think more clearly. Now that discussion's going to go a lot better. Wow! Uh, so after dinner and before you get too tired. It's, exactly. Uh, yeah. there, there's an acronym that I had learned before, and it was very similar to that, which is HALT. H A L T, right. which hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Right. So it goes along right. those. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that that comes sense. out of the substance abuse community. Right. Yeah. yeah, same idea, same idea. And yeah. it's, you know, in fact, when I was teaching uh, uh, parenting classes, is where I first came up with this because I used to talk about the reasons why kids misbehave. And of course, one of the chief ones is they're kind of retired, right? You've been out right. shopping for two two hours. Okay, don't expect your kid to behave, right. especially if they're young, right? Right. Shove some right. food. Shove some food in their mouth, you know. Right. Yeah. So, so there are. Um, yeah, I mean, those are that that stuff seems the what you just explained about after dinner and those type conversations. Mm-hmm. They seem so simple, and they are simple, but they're not necessarily easy. But they make they might the simplicity of it, you know, um, it just makes such a huge difference. I mean, you're well, you're literally not able to function at certain levels in certain times of the day, or depending on the circumstances. And see, that gets to a myth that a lot of people believe in, and this is the idea that I don't care how tired I am, I can make myself function at 100%. And we get that from a lot of the movies. You know, you see the the diehard types of movies where the guy's been shot, run over, thrown out of the airplane, but he's still chugging along, doing fine. Or the kung fu type of movies, you know, the mystic movies where the guy's doing amazing things, and it's all Hollywood. You know, the, the, the truth is, is your brain is an organic mechanism that when it's sick, hungry, tired, under stress, it doesn't reason and function as well as it normally does. And you need to just take that into, into consideration in your daily life. But a lot of people don't because they, they, they believe that, no, I can make myself do whatever I want to do. I just It's just willpower. You know? I can handle it, right. Yeah. And to some degree, you can force yourself, but there's a lot of limits to that. 
right? And I don't and 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 not taking those into account. I mean, obviously, we get busy doing. This is a this is another excuse, but I will say mm-hmm. that you know I've been guilty of just letting life kind of you know life life is living us sometimes. We're 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 stressed. We're running. We're going you know 100 miles an hour all day, doing what we need to do, and these simple things that make the huge differences kind of fall away sometimes. And well, and that's yep, yeah, and that's why you got to make them part of your just kind of habitual way of living. Yeah. Otherwise, they will fall away. Yes. Most emotions that occur when events don't warrant it are caused by some very specific things, and you cover some of this in your work. What are some of those? Uh, the general term is there's some kind of irrational thinking going on, uh, and that's a very broad category of things, because uh, the way you think is a habit pattern, uh, and just like everything else you do, and there's different levels to it. On, on the surface is what are called um, distorted forms of thinking, and these would be things like should-must thinking, uh, where a person is talking on, talks about or thinks about all the things they should or must or have to do, uh, or over-exaggerations. You know, I always this always happens to me. Why does that? It's where you take a single event and make it an unending series of catastrophes. Those are kind of the surface things that people do. Below that, you have your belief systems. Um, you know, what does it mean to be a man or a woman? What is success? You know, how do you get to be happy in life? Is there something after life? You know, those types of questions. And below that, you have some really deep core beliefs, again, about is the world safe? Who am I? You know, what's my role? And a lot of those core beliefs are things that we really haven't thought so much about uh, consciously, but we've just kind of developed as we uh, grow up. In fact, uh, let me give you a couple examples to help clarify it. Yeah. Let's say we got a person who grows up uh, in a in a childhood where there's a lot of uh, violence and stuff, and there's various ways the kids can learn to adapt to that. One might be I, I you know I learn to be non-assertive. I just blend into the you know the wallpaper, and then bad things don't happen to me as often. Now that becomes a conditioned response type of automatic behavior. As an adult, the person gets into a conflict situation and they become non-assertive later saying to themselves, I don't understand why I didn't speak up. Why, why, why can't I see, seem to take care of the situation, those types of situations better? And again, it's because all these bells and whistles are going off inside at an unconscious level, danger, danger, danger. So they do that automatic behavior they learned as a kid. Another common one I run into is a, a kid who grows up in an environment where there's either no intimacy uh, or every time they try to get close to the parent, the parent either stomps on them in some way or, you know, distances themselves. And you see this person in a relationship. And just as things settle down, start to get good and close, they create distance in some way. And then again, afterwards, saying, I don't understand why I always screw things up when, I, when they start to get good and close. And it's because that intimacy has been connected to pain and so now as intimacy starts to come up all those bells and whistles go off again you know danger danger pain and so then they push the person away and mm-hmm. all these things you know once you kind of see them going on in a person's life uh, you know you you can change them it's just that most people aren't aware of it in fact uh, one of the insights that meant a lot to me early on in my life was that most adults are basing their life on a set of core beliefs that a little kid came up with when you look at when you look at behavior that way, you see why there's so much crazy stuff in the world, because uh, it really is. You know, most people are basing their lives on things that little kids came up with, and they've just never thought about or you know gone about changing that stuff. So they just keep blindly, you know, acting it out. That's our blueprint. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, and and those, 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 
Those are called life scripts and a lot of other different terms, but I, you know, I use the idea of core beliefs. Core beliefs, yeah. So the core, yeah. but but so the core beliefs, um, also a lot of times people call limiting beliefs. They're created mm-hmm. based on what we learn from our parents, from school, from religion sometimes, or, or things of that nature, and then we learn it early, and then we just, like you said, just kind of let it play mm-hmm. out and never really go back to to deal with it. I know personally I, 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 I avoided going back to the childhood stuff for a very long time mm-hmm. and, you know, then finally did, but, but I don't even, but, but we don't even know what's going on. It's mostly under the surface, subconscious, if you will, correct? Exactly, and, and, and let me make two points. One is that some of the stuff down there is good. I mean, you know, we we have some core beliefs that have served us well, uh, and helped us be successful, and all that other type of stuff. And so, you know, it's it's always a mixed bag, and it's not really something so much that you've learned. Although that's not an inaccurate way of saying. It. I I like think it's more things that you've experienced, and so mm. they've kind of you've kind of acquired them through experiential learning, as opposed to more cognitive types of learning, and, and that's very powerful how it affects you later on in life. Yeah. Well, uh, in some of the stuff that I've learned uh, or actually intentionally learned is mm-hmm. I use the word term learning because then it's like then we almost have to unlearn it. So right. as we, you know, as we as we uh, decide that we really want to make some changes. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Um, three general areas need to be addressed for effective anger management. I love that part of your stuff. Talk to us about that. <laughs> Right. Uh, wasn't sure exactly where you were looking at for that particular one, but one, of course, again, going back to our definition of is it a real threat, uh, that's taking a look at those things that are causing you to misinterpret stuff. Again, your distorted thinking, uh, mm. some of those core belief types of stuff, as well as surface beliefs. Sometimes, you know, you, you have a set of beliefs that if I ask you what does it mean to be a man, you can tell me about and then there's that core belief stuff. And in a well-integrated person, those are all the same, right? Uh, right. When they're not, when they're not integrated, you, you're saying one thing, but again, you're acting as if you know something else is true. In fact, I, I, I like Adler's uh, idea that behavior is always goal-oriented. We do mm-hmm. things for a purpose. Um, oftentimes, we don't know what that purpose is, but you can figure out what the purpose is by looking at the result of the behavior. We we use that a lot with uh, kids. You know, like with kids, one of the, the, the goals of misbehavior is attention. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you figure out what mm-hmm. that is by how you, how you respond to the person emotionally. And so you can do that with adults, too, except it's just there's a lot more of them than, than you have with kids. Right. Um, so certainly, you know, the, the, uh, the misinterpreting, uh, that's one area to work on so that you're interpreting events in a more realistic way. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly, um, uh, the response, both in terms is my anger proportional to the threat, uh, and am I doing something that's going to eliminate that threat uh, with the least amount of harm to myself and others? Um, mm. Those are two issues. Yeah. And, of course, you have the person who's explosive, and you have the person who tends to suppress anger. In fact, it was fun doing, doing the book because I profiled two people, a man and a woman, who were explosive, and then two people who were uh, suppressors. And the interesting mm-hmm. thing is you, you find a lot of parallels between the two uh, in terms of some of the issues that are driving them. Uh, it's just that they've learned different ways to, to manage the anger. And right. With, with peop- yeah, people that are explosive, they, they need to learn the old time out, you know, uh, 
that's the first thing you lock into place is the old walkaway strategy. You know, an angry time out. Time. I'm, I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling angry. I need a time out. Take an hour or whatever. Um, something that I that I found uh, extremely useful. Again, just uh, it was in your material, which was, you know, again, it seems so simple, but it's it's like in the moment. See, that's the problem. <laughs> it's yeah. not in the moment. It, it, when when you know, as you already pointed out, in the moment, our emotions are running away with us. Meaning, we're not yep. we we're having a hard time actually even functioning at a at a rational level. So it's irrational thinking. And but in the moment, if if there's even a possibility, just to say, and it can get. I think it could get fun, but you got to get past the point of. Comp- continuing to blow it right and 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 get to a point of implementation which is what's happening what's really happening and right what's real yeah i love those two yeah well yeah and and that's the yeah i use a lot with people where they've got uh condition response stuff from the past going on but but let me address this this whole idea of walk away because when you look at people who manage their emotions well, that is something that they just do automatically. When something really strong comes up in them, you'll see them stop for a second or two, or sometimes maybe a little bit longer, and kind of regain control of themselves and then process what's going on. It's the same thing like with the military, right? Uh, when they're they're training combat people, they they put them through things so that it, so that the behaviors become automatic because when those emotions take hold of you, if you don't have an automatic behavior uh, to take place, then that old negative stuff is going to come out instead, those automatic behaviors. So learning when, when, when strong stuff comes up to just, you know, stop for a moment and regain that reasonability and relook at it and say, okay, so where is the threat? You know, uh, what's going on here? You know, what do I want? You know, what's the best way to manage it? You know, that, that type of thing is, is a habit pattern that needs to get locked into place. And, and you see, again, people who manage emotions, well, they do that kind of automatically. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, again, it's not easy. I mean, it's simple, some, you know, but at certain times, obviously it's more, it's easier for some people than others. But this whole thing, it's interesting that in the moment, again, depending on the situation, most of the time, if I'm, unless I'm missing something, at least mm. most of the time, we're not even really responding or reacting to what's happening in the moment. We're reacting to something that happened to us that we learned when we were kids. And and we're well, just it's it's influence it's influencing us influencing in us so strongly that that we're actually again like it's inappropriate or uh, irrational uh, because the threat isn't anywhere close to how we're reacting is that that's kind of well I, I'd say I'm yes saying. and no it depends on who we're talking about because again the goal in life is to get to where you are reacting to the moment uh, and, and to things that are real. I mean, that's part of what, you know, personal yeah. development's all about, is to quit reacting to the present as if it's the past. Um, and so right. as you start to identify some of those triggers and stuff, that helps you to do that more effectively. Um, a simple personal example, when, when I was living in, in Japan uh, with my wife many, many years ago, uh, we'd go in, and she's Asian, uh, and so we'd go into a department store or something, and after a few minutes, I'd start to get all crabby and stuff. I know it's hard to imagine me doing that, but... I did. Uh, <laughs> and wives be, you know, who they are, they, they, they tend to point that out after a while. Uh, and so, you know, with a little bit of reflection, I realized what was going on is my Japanese wasn't that good, and I didn't know a lot of the cultures. And so what I was experiencing was, was embarrassment. Now, I grew up in a military family where, you're, you know, you're in control and do things right and all that type of stuff. And so embarrassment was kind of a taboo emotion for me. 
And so when embarrassment would start to come up, I would convert that to anger, which is a common thing because when you're feeling angry, you have adrenaline coursing through your veins and you feel strong, right? doesn't do any good, but at least I have the physical sensation of strength. So once I made that connection, mm-hmm. when I would start to get kind of irritated, I would stop for a moment and I'd say to myself, you know, I, I think what's really going on is I'm embarrassed by not knowing how to respond here. At that moment, my anger would disappear and I'd become aware of my embarrassment, which didn't feel good, but at least now I had my emotions, you know, all my mental ability intact where I could deal with the situation. Because when you have a, a, a taboo emotion like that, and that's kind of one of those automatic things you were talking about, when you're spending a lot of energy suppressing that taboo emotion, you kind of lose your ability to think about what's going on in the here and the now. So learning to identify and reconnect right. those things, again, allows you now to deal with the here and the now more realistically and accurately. And again, I think that's the goal of personal development, is, is to be here and be here now and respond to what's going on you know, in, in a real way. Yes, yes. That kind of ties into the ego a little bit. I mean, from a lot of research and, and work on that, uh, being in the now, in the moment, just actually in the moment right now, that's really all we have, right? I mean, it, right. We, 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 don't, we don't pay enough attention to it, but a lot of times we're uh, even I, – I can tie this directly into anger. We're, if we're responding or reacting without pausing, many times what we're doing is we're being influenced by the past. Maybe it's shame, fear, regret, whatever it might be, or maybe right. even influenced by the future, which is the anxiety or stress or worry, yeah. um, instead of being in the moment. So in the moment, when we come back to that, then we're able to say, okay, what's really happening? What What is happening and what's real? That's like I'm, I'm, that's my takeaways, and I'm like, okay, what's real? Because a lot of it's nowhere close to, you know, uh, my reaction at times is nowhere really close to the threat. There might not even be one. Uh, it's a perceived threat, as you mentioned. So, yeah, well, well, exactly. Yeah, and I think not only what's happening, what's real, but what should I do about it? <laughs> That's the third part, right? What would be the most appropriate right. way to well, respond and, and, to the yeah. situation? Okay, pause. Pa- yeah, and that's what I got, pause and then a timeout. So let's talk about the timeout just a little bit more. And I had another question. Um, I have a lot of uh, people that I work with in the recovery uh, community, so I had a question about that. But as far as an effective timeout, because sometimes when you're in the heat of it, let's say I say in the heat of it, let's say you're in the heat of a conversation uh-huh. and that could be considered an argument, and <laughs> you know that it's moving in a direction of okay, this is not going well. I'm getting angry. How do you how do you implement or move towards effectively implementing a, a timeout? Uh, th- there's a broad spectrum, and so let's let's take the extreme people where again you have domestic violence situations going on. Uh, with that that group, you basically have them leave the house or go into a, another room or you know leave leave the environment in some way. And usually you say leave for a half hour initially and calm down and then you don't re-engage on that topic unless both parties are calm and able to do that and sometimes you table it until the next day for that to be effective of course your partner has to agree to leave you alone and that sometimes is a problem because the person wants to time out but then the partner keeps coming and nagging at him and then pretty soon it's it, it kind of just goes all blows up again so that's kind of the extreme is actually mm-hmm. leaving physically the situation. But e- even at work or some situation like that, uh, you can, you know, if, if, if you have a hard time controlling yourself, you can say, you know, I, I need to go to the restroom, excuse me for a little bit, and you can go there and calm down or make up some other excuse. I got some work to do. 
you know, or I got, you know, got to go see this other person uh, to get out of the situation. Uh, for most people, it just takes a moment or two uh, to kind of regain their, their control. And, and if the situation is going out of control, and again, nine times out of ten, it's because a sick, hungry, tired, uh, or something like that going on, or if the other person has got that going on, then it might be that, that there's something going on you have no control over. Uh, just putting things on hold for a short period of time and then coming back and reengaging them sometimes helps a lot. Uh, so it, it kind of depends on the, on the person's unique, you know, situation and you know how they deal with anger again if they're explosive people then they need to more physically remove themselves and if that's not the case then mm-hmm. a lot of times just taking a few moments uh is all it is required and, and again be aware of that old yeah, tired stress yeah. thing you know it gets it it creeps up more than people, people realize yeah, yeah and it's probably a lot more prevalent and it's it's more um you know it's right there with us when we don't even realize it. So I, I was just thinking about that. So the the other thing that I was uh, considering here is that all of the ideas that you said there's anger and we think oh it's explosive. When we think of the word angry, we think of someone shouting or, or yelling or, or 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 something of that nature. But in reality, there are a lot of other things. So there's mild anger when we're irritated or whatever the case may be. So I again I, I kind of tie that back as far as the timeout. I, I kind of tie it back in my mind to pausing. Um, right. You know, pause when agitated or doubtful. Um, and, and, you know, agitated is another word for angry. So, you know, you, you, you just pause and, and think. And there's a, a Thich Nhat Hanh, um, who's a, uh, a teacher, you know, mindfulness and everything, had said, mm-hmm. you know, here's what you could say. I'm not, can we talk about this later, basically? I'm, I'm not fresh right now. I'm not, I'm not right. even, I don't even think I'm hearing you completely. I'm not really following through you know it's not coming and there because there's a mild irritation already and it's not you know somebody yeah. again like you said oh well, let's talk about finances <laughs> i'm not ready you know i'm just obviously and who knows could be one of those hungry angry tired things um what does let, 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 let me say one other thing is that you know people that yep. are explosive need to learn how to be assertive just like people who tend to suppress and need to speak up more because again, this this idea of assertiveness, where you know I'm saying things in a way that's going to invite cooperation, and I'm working towards some kind of a mutually uh, satisfying goal, uh, that's a skill that people that are angry all the time and explosive they don't have. They only know one way, and that's to railroad over that, that other person, just to blast over them, and that's how I get what I want. And so, mm-hmm. learning to tone that down is just as important for people, you know, who tend to suppress and avoid conflict, need to kind of you know, step up a little bit more. So in both cases, taking complete personal responsibility for themselves and their actions and what's going on in the moment and being well, aware and, of that. And, 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 and learning kind of exactly how to put things out there in a more uh, appropriate way. You, you know, the, 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 yeah. the model I use is, you know, I use this DER model where you uh, describe what's going on, you know, and you express if appropriate, you know, your thoughts, uh, and then you make your request. And, and being able to do that using, you know, what they call eye language and in, in an objective way as opposed to coming out and, you know, reaming that person and calling them names and other types of stuff. Uh, that's a skill that a lot of times people need to learn, uh, if they've never learned it growing up. And, and a lot of people haven't. They want to learn either an abusive way of yeah. communicating when they're angry or, you know, not talking at all, you know, if they're non, non, non-assertive type people. 
Right. Makes sense. So what does um, what does using alcohol or drugs to manage anger do for us? <laughs> <laughs> well, and what effect like, does it have on us? I mean, that's like pouring gasoline on the fire, right? <laughs> I mean, alcohol and drugs uh, they they interfere with your ability to think clearly. And when you interfere with your ability to think clearly, then you're going to do a lot more distorted thinking. Uh, and so that's going to create exaggerated emotional responses. I mean, you just have to look at the news. How often do you hear the phrase alcohol was involved with stupid behavior, right? Uh, it's, yeah. it's just, it's, it's, yeah, like I said, it's like pouring gasoline on a fire. The alcohol and drugs are, are not the way to manage, uh, anger appropriately. In fact, they contribute to the opposite, to the, uh, uh abusive types of anger, either self-abusive or abusive of others. So, no. So, so it's, so, so as a strategy to avoid, um, what needs to be learned in regards to anger it's it's not it's no better a strategy than avoiding our pain or anything else obviously well no i mean it doesn't we, make we sense have, yeah i mean substance is basically the rule is don't look don't feel run away right so i run away in the substance yep. i run away in work you yep. know i mean there's a lot of ways we run away but it's you're still not dealing with the issue and that means you got needs that aren't being taken care of and sooner or later they're going to come around and bite you so yeah right so, so we've been talking mostly about um, your book, um, Anger. Uh, your, I guess this is the second edition, um, mm -hmm. Anger, Taming the Beast, second edition. You have some other books, Anxiety, Phobias, and Panic, and then you have a couple more books. Can you speak about those? I, I, I like the title, um, Why Did God Give Us Emotions, was one of your books, oh. right? Yeah, that was, that was a real labor of love. Yeah, I, I came back to Christianity uh, uh, about 20 years ago, and I, I was involved with you know yoga and Buddhism and stuff earlier on in life, and I came back, and so that that was kind of my take. Let's let's look at uh, it from a spiritual, uh, but a, as well as a scientific perspective. So I kind of used the elephant model of uh, you know the blind man with the elephant, the guy touching the trunk thinks it's a snake, the guy on the side thinks it's a wall, and the guy on the tail thinks it's a rope, and so we kind of look at emotions that way. So in, in the book, I look at them from a physical perspective, just in terms of, you know, brain chemistry and that type of stuff. From a cognitive perspective, you know, how we think and how that causes and is, is triggered by emotion. And uh, a subjective, something that's oftentimes not dealt with, but basically how they cause motivation and just how the experience of emotions affect us. And that whole spiritual side, and because uh, in, in a real sense, emotions are the window into your soul. If you want to know where you're at spiritually, mm. look at how you react emotionally. It's it's more evident mm. than anything else. I, I mean, to get, give a biblical example, uh, Jesus was talking to this uh, rich young ruler, and uh, you know he's saying, "Yeah, I've been, I've been obeying all of the rules and stuff. I'm doing great. And is there anything else I need to do?" And so he looked at him and he said, "Yeah, give up your wealth and follow me." And the guy walked away sad because, not because wealth was the issue, but because his clinging to it was the issue. And that was his spiritual condition was, you know, my wealth is what's most important to me. And in the same way, if you want to see uh, where you're at in terms of whatever spiritual belief system you have, look at how you respond to people in situations, uh, especially when you're sick and retired emotionally. And that will reveal a whole lot about who you are and where you're at. Very, very powerful. That's something we don't like right. to look at because because it's so powerful. Yeah, well, I mean, that's uh, sometimes. Uh, yeah, sometimes mm -hmm. it takes a, a, a pretty uh, 
tragic event or, you know, who knows for everybody, for somebody to really take a close look at themselves. Um, what about the, uh, the other book? Uh, let's see here. Uh, it's overcoming the one that anxiety. we mentioned, your first book. Oh, uh, yeah. anxiety, phobias, and panic. Yeah. That, that's done very well over the years. It still sells pretty well regularly. And it's kind of the, uh, back when I first started, it was, uh, kind of a pioneering book in terms of approaching uh, anxiety disorders. Uh, I, I originally worked with panic disorder and was taking a real, what's called a multimodal uh, approach because because when I first started uh, treatment of anxiety was kind of divided into the the behaviorists the cognitive people and then the drug people and you know you go to a conference and a cognitive guy would stand up and you know all of the other people would shoot spit wads at him and then the you know the behavior would sit up and all the other guys would you know get out him and, and so the idea of let's bring all those things together and let's take everything we know and kind of shotgun approach it and for a particular individual they'll need different parts of the different pieces, you know, and so that idea is, is basically what how the book got started, is, is I just took everything I knew about how to deal with stuff and put it in one book, and it, it turned out to be very successful, and, and now it's kind of the, the standard mo model for treating anxiety disorders uh, when, you, when you go to different places. Right. Right. I, I, I found um, it, it almost seemed like the word anxiety, it, it's like taboo nobody wants to really you know it's almost like i don't even don't even suggest that i have anxiety you know that it's like a you know like a a bad word or or something that nobody wants to really admit but yet i feel like there's a lot of people that have some form of a mild anxiety if nothing else um we we all experience anxiety it's a it's a normal part of life like everything else in fact when, when you're working with somebody with anxiety disorder with panic disorder in particular because that was my my main thing i worked with uh, one of the hardest things I had for them is to get them to understand that there was nothing wrong with them, that they were just a normal person who had a very reactive body. And, and in reality, that was true for the, the vast majority is they had body, you know, like some people, you know, you, you got to slap them upside the head to notice things and stuff. Uh, but with a group of anxiety disorder mm. people, as, as a group, they tend to have very reactive systems, uh, much more excitable. In mm -hmm. fact, it's the quality about them, I would say, that people like most about you because you notice when somebody's upset. You know, you empathize really well. And so people really like you because of that. But like a house where the wiring's not quite up to code, you know, if you get too much stuff piled up, the circuit breakers start to trip. And so they need to learn mm. how how to manage that and, and indeed a lot of times they would have issues in their life that they weren't dealing with directly and so then it would start to manifest as free-floating anxiety and then turn into panic disorder and become this all all these condition response patterns would start to develop and so a, as you started to unwind all that stuff essentially they needed to learn that there's nothing wrong with me I'm basically a normal person I just I'm high strung and there's nothing wrong with that in fact, at, a, at one of the conferences I attended, a bunch of people that used my book, they had these buttons that I really loved and said, so I'm anxious. It was it just tickled my heart, you know, because they recognized, they embraced that this is the way I'm wired, this is who I am, and there's nothing wrong with it. The second thing is that uh, anxiety is simply a message that there's some business I need to take care of. So let's identify the business and take care of it. And a lot of times it was real stuff. You know, but unfortunately, the habit pattern was is they would, especially like like boundary issues and relationships, things like that. They would not deal with it directly, and then it would that means there's needs not being taken care of, and those needs would generate anxiety, and that's what they would focus on. So they focused on the messenger, messenger, not the message. 
fact, all emotions are simply messages. Mm. They're messages that you got needs that need to be dealt with. So let's let's listen to the message and deal with it. Don't shoot the messenger. Wow, that's great. So yeah. how um, this has been awesome. How would people get? So so you have four four books, and I saw them all on mm. your website. If someone wants to get more, and you do have a, an extensive YouTube channel, I love your videos. How would somebody get more information about you or connect with you? Uh, the easiest way is to go to whyemotions.com, and that's why, W-H-Y, whyemotions.com, and that's all there. You find out about me. There's links to the videos and all, all that type of stuff, and and I hope to get some videos out about every three months or so, so I, I'm, I'm real excited about building that channel, and it's been well-received so far, so people seem to enjoy the topics I've been doing. Well, yeah, it's much needed. Well, I, I really appreciate you taking some time and being with us today. It's uh, great, great well, it's knowledge, been, great information. It's been a lot of fun. And a pleasure thank you so much. With you, so thank you for inviting me. Absolutely, Renault. Thank you. Take good care. It's not easy to face our demons. It's not easy to look in the mirror and actually deal with the issues at hand. It's much easier to stuff or numb or deny or ignore or run away from our problems and our pain. I implore you to take a close look. And until next time, I'm David Dom.